everybody, it's Doug Bursch and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So have you ever had that moment where you said exactly what you wanted to say? <laughs> well, me neither. But every once in a while, you get close. Back in 2014, I went on a podcast where a friend of mine just asked me to share my heart about the church, about celebrity culture, about everything, really. And for about an hour, I felt about as clear as I've ever felt in sharing my heart. I want to share that very special show with you, which eventually turned into a book. Please listen. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me, you are my only one, you're the only one worth living for, so I'm dreams with you. All right, I'm glad you could join me. I'm going to do something a little different today. Uh, Back in 2014, actually March of 2014, I went on a friend's podcast. Uh, His name is Bogdan Kipko. How's that for a cool name? Yeah, Bogdan Kipko. And uh, he's always been a supporter of the ministry that I do. And at the time, I was doing a radio show for five years. I did a radio show on 820 AM KGNW in the Seattle area. And he asked me to go on his podcast, which is called Fuel for Life. And you can still uh, go and find that podcast on iTunes, Fuel for Life. Or you can go to his website, bogdankipko.com. You might want to just uh, Google, though, Fuel for Life, and you can get that. But anyway, this is one of his first shows, and he interviewed me uh, just about ministry. And I'd written a um, column that was on, on Christianity Today's website about Donald Miller, about celebrity culture, about the church. And there was just something about that interview that day where I just felt incredibly clear about what I was saying and why I was saying it. In fact, as I listened to the interview a couple weeks ago, I realized that many of the points that I brought up eventually turned into the book that I just released a couple months ago, uh, the book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And so I just want to share this with you. Uh, it's a deep interview. It's also um, yeah, some parts. Well, I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's uh, You can think it's humorous or not, depending upon <laughs> your humor. But it really does share my heart on all those issues, the differences of megachurches and small churches and celebrity culture and how pastors deal with success and failure and just... It's about as clear of an articulation of my heart about ministry and pastoring as you're ever going to get. So uh, with that, I just want to share that with you. Again, this is from Bogdan Kipko's show, our podcast, Fuel for Life, and he gave me permission to share this, and this just goes right into the interview. So please enjoy. Enjoy. 
Doug, welcome to the Fuel for Life podcast. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Well, thanks for asking me. I'm really looking forward to it. One thing that really piqued my interest regarding your ministry and regarding just your opinions and, and just your take on uh, Christianity and culture, it's just the way that you love the, the local church. Yeah, I uh, I found in our culture that sometimes uh, I'm all for creative expression. I'm all for new expression. You know, I believe the harvest is ripe and the workers are few, and I certainly would welcome anyone into the harvest field. But I think sometimes our culture has a habit of tearing down other expressions to make room for our own expression, or we have a habit of tearing down what what our father did or our grandfather mm. did to make room for ours. And and one of the reasons I went into radio and media, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I pastor a local congregation in the Seattle area, but I notice sometimes in media, uh, there's a lot of tearing down of the church. There's a lot of statements about what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with pastors. And I think God loves his bride. I think he loves the church. And most of the pastors and ministers I know are trying really hard and difficult harvest fields and so to me, I want to, whenever I communicate about the church in a larger context than our church, I want to really make sure that I'm building up the bride and I'm also building up pastors and ministers who are giving their life for the church. Right, exactly. And and that's in, in a lot of leaders, a lot of pastors who follow your content, including myself, we're thankful to you for that. Uh, thank you for providing great leadership and thank you for just being a voice that's kind of not bagging on the church but at the same time understanding that yes the church has issues that it needs to deal with but it's kind of like a beautiful mess where jesus still loves it he died for it and and this is a, a primary vehicle through which people get saved when they when they do come to church and, and join a community yeah and I, I think sometimes uh the the reason we're so quick to tear down the church is we're we're not aware of how much the church is just a stable foundation in our culture. And I, when I look overseas and around the world uh, with people who are facing tremendous persecution, they have a much higher respect for the church because they know it's not a guarantee that you can gather and, and form community. It's sort of just something that you assume, especially uh, second-generation Christians, Christians who've grown up in the church. Instead of honoring the church, we kind of take it for granted or we become you know, Pharisees or uh, cynics, and we have lots of lots of ideas about what's wrong with the church. But I just think that breeds that discontentment, that bitterness. That I, I just don't think it breeds good things. I think ultimately, even if we're going to talk about faults in the church, it should be for the purpose of we love the church and we're trying to strengthen it and grow it and allow it to be the best it's supposed to be. Right, exactly. And 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 basically, we're we're talking about putting. Uh, a bunch of sinners together, uh, uh, people who are absolutely broken together, and we're trying to rally them around the cross and rally them around Christ. I mean, it's inevitable that there will be conflict, there will be issues, there will be misunderstandings. Yeah, well, it's just people. You know, the church is just people. And one of the things is, uh, if you get around people, we don't get along with our own families. We can't go to family right. reunions. We can't <laughs> not fight with an uncle or an aunt. And yet somehow we assume the church is going to be different. And what I've noticed is people have this idea, well, I would attend church if it was just healthier. But that to me is the same idea of like, well, I would hang out my, with my family if my family was healthier. <laughs> the reality is I think church is a covenantal relationship. It's the body of Christ. And so since it's full of people – going to be full of people that annoy you, that do things wrong, that mess up, and 
but I'm not committed just because it's easy. I'm committed because it's the body of Christ. And if Christ is in me, Christ is going to want to uh, gather with his body. So that's why I think it doesn't make sense to be a Christian who at one level says, I'm living for Christ and Christ is in me, and yet isolate yourself from what the Bible says is clearly the full expression of Christ, which is the local church. Right, exactly. And lately, um, one thing that um, I noticed, even before um, before we even met and before I kind of read any of your content, one of the things that I noticed is that there has been um, almost an entire industry built around criticizing the church or maybe not directly criticizing the church but the people who are um a, a part of this industry they their primary clientele or their tribe they are people who are either disenchanted with the church or who are still part of the church but they have found like a fresh a fresh voice and so basically those people are kind of using the church to get clients and they're bagging in the church and one of the uh one of the things that i want to talk to you about is um i know that you on your radio show you talked about this and it was um in response to a uh, a post that Donald Miller wrote where he talked about that he rarely attends church because he doesn't find that he can find intimacy with God in church. And um, you personally said that for you, it was just a real blow to the gut. Yeah. And you know, Sorry, I, I'll interrupt you because I'm a pastor and a talk show host, so it's pretty hard for me to stay silent. You know, I have to, no, 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 please do. <laughs> Go ahead. I have a of uh, interrupting and talking about yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's it's part of a bigger picture. First, I've just noticed that we have a pharisaical culture or a spectator culture, which mm. means a fewer people or less people are creating content and more people are judging that content. Mm -hmm. I mean, you even look in the Internet, news sites, there's very little creative new content, but there's a lot of people aggregating that content or sharing it. And so... In our social media age, uh, there's people, just a mass of people criticizing, assessing, and judging content. And it's not all negative, right. but it's kind of this spectator culture where we're used to kind of just sitting on the outside and, and looking in. Right. We do that with our culture now. Uh, we don't talk about institutions as if they're us. So mm -hmm. we talk about the government as if the government is enough. We'll talk about even our own church that way. Like we attend church but we don't talk as if it's our church or if it's our schools or if it's our government. And I, and I see that same trend occurring in the church. And I think Donald Miller's, some of his recent writings is kind of uh, indicative of that. I, I've been a supporter of Donald Miller, uh, his writings. I even helped give some money to help uh, produce the movie Blue Like Jazz mm -hmm. along with, uh, I think, a thousand other people. So I, a lot of his critiques of the church and critiques of Christianity I, w I would agree with. But my problem is uh, he wrote a post where he said, you know, I don't go to church because I don't really like singing, basically he says. I don't, so I don't get anything out of the singing. And then I don't get anything out of the preaching. And then he mentioned, I find God in other avenues. And uh, it troubled my heart on a lot of different levels that, one, it seems like he doesn't have an understanding of what the body of Christ is all about. And then also it troubled my heart, as you were alluding to there, that he makes his living off of the church. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude to him, but 
he puts on conferences and and he writes books that primarily go to people who are in the church. Right, right. And it seems to me it's dangerous to have one someone speaking to people in the church but not be accountable to a local well, body. Well, yeah, and it's and it's like that's exactly what my question to you is and how you you kind of responded to that that there is a uh the way I view it is like there's a harvested group of people to whom a particular product or a conference or a book, whatever, is pitched to. And it's almost like the people who do that, maybe like Donald Miller or somebody else, they know exactly what to say and how to say it to this particular demographic of people, but then they don't have a focus on the local church. Yeah, no, it's it's a real issue. And, I, and it's, to me, it's part of a larger issue that I don't necessarily even think maybe Donald Miller has thought about, I, you know, the last four years I've been doing a daily talk show and every day, or let's say at least every week, I have two or three books mailed to me from a new book and a new author or a new conference. And a huge amount of those books are basically built on people being discontented with the church. What's wrong with the church? What's wrong with the pastor? What's wrong with the youth leaders? What's wrong with your children's ministry? What's wrong with your youth ministry? And I believe it's tied to the church growth movement is there's this idea of feeding off of people's dissatisfaction, mm. almost like majority of the church is doing it wrong, and if you just did it right, we'd be okay. Mm. Now, add to that, I, I know Donald Miller's not in the church growth movement, but that's kind of the same expression of uh, these critiques on the church. It's not – the reason it's not effective, it's not meeting the real needs of people today. My biggest hit on that is it's one thing to reform the church. Like if Donald Miller is a pastor – or he's working to try to create a new form right. of church, then I would listen to his critiques a little stronger sure. because he understands the consequences of that. But I was really, and this is where the kick in the gut part was, he basically just said, you know, I don't have need for the church. I can go off and be with God. And that's not a reformer to me. That's just someone who's given up mm-hmm. on the church. And And to me, that's kind of the Pharisee who's not really entered in but they're keeping other people from entering in. Like maybe he's very healthy in his faith. Right. But Spiritually kind of healthy, advocating yeah. For, right. The things he's advocating for are going to hurt other people, people who are leaving for wrong reasons, who are afraid of community, who are broken. There's lots of really bad reasons uh, to be outside of community. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. Like how if you're, if you're a genuine believer in Jesus and you love Jesus and you're, you're saved – the, the natural overflow of your heart will be a desire to be part of a community. How, yeah, how, well, and I, and I agree. And, and I think I said something in one of the posts I wrote is that I think what happens too, I've seen this with people who are raised up in the church. They gain Christian friends, people they like hanging out with, and then they consider church to be, I just hang out with the people I like hanging out mm. with. But, but that's not the church. There's an aspect of the church where I think it needs to be big enough that there's people in it that kind of annoy you, that kind of are hard to love, that you wouldn't hang out with if if you had a choice. Right. And it needs to be small enough that you could have real connection with people. And I, I think that's part of a consumer overflow that I will just create the church based on the people I like to hang out with, doing the things I like to do. And that's not ministry. A ministry includes a cross. Ministry right. includes persecution. Ministry includes uh, g- giving the grace of God to the wicked and the good, speaking to the orphans, the widows, 
the prostitutes, the lawyers, the Pharisees, everybody. And when you can just pick and choose what you think the church is based on your friends and what's convenient, that's to me not an expression of the church. Do you believe that? Right, exactly. And do you believe that the reason that's happening, and obviously we just, uh, Donald Miller wrote this particular post, but exactly, I agree with what you're saying. This is just part of a much larger problem. It just so happens that that post actually made a, a, a lot of um, ripples in the blogosphere. And what I, what I saw was that many of the comments to that post were, were not comments that were saying, oh, you're so right. We totally feel this way. But in fact, it was quite the opposite. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think sometimes people like Donald Miller, and I don't want to speak on his behalf, I think, though, he probably assumes they're just kind of the legalistic people and the non-legalistic people. <laughs> but what he was communicating is something – something deeper. And I, and I think the idea of, I believe what's happening is groups like that who've abandoned the church and just kind of go off and do their own thing. Mm -hmm. That's the natural overflow of our culture moving towards greater and greater selfishness. Right. If you look at the trend in the American church particular, you had, let's say like my grandfather's group, you had kind of these strong, Mm -hmm. powerful leaders. These sequoia trees, so to speak. Yeah. They were kind of oppressive in their leadership, maybe, you know, too legalistic and harsh. The next generation, you get kind of the user-friendly, seeker-sensitive. And I'm not saying these are wrong expressions. There's right. seeker-sensitive. You get kind of the Willow Creek and, and even the Rick Warren. And I like these guys. I'm not trying to. But then it's like try to create a church that meets kind of your needs. And But what's happened is people raised up in that environment are like, that still doesn't meet my needs enough. And so they're going to the natural progression, which is, I will just make me the church. Mm. And it's just, right. it'll look exactly like me, which is just increasing isolation. And to me, increasing, at least it trends towards a selfish view of uh, the church. Right. And it sounds almost like, and it tell me what you think about this. It's, it's with our, um, limitless option-based culture, people are, um, creating a la carte type church where, I can like, for example, you know, watch a, my favorite uh, preacher online, live stream it, and I can search God on my own. And I can, I've even, know, I think I, there's churches who do communion virtually, like uh, online, they kind of give you a little bit of a, a, a kit, so to speak, t- to do communion on your own. And so we're just picking and choosing who we want to listen to and People are more and more are saying, I don't want to submit to any authority. I don't want to be a part of the community. And it's almost like people think that that's freeing them. But in reality, it's actually creating a place for them where they're not going to be spiritually growing and they're not expressing them, their faith in the way in which Jesus intended it to, to be. Well, yeah, and one of the things I think of is, you know, transformation occurs as we walk through conflicts and struggles. Oh, wow. That's and, deep. Uh, right. One of the things that I've noticed, like, if you go to, uh, well, my uh, great, my grandfather was an evangelist, mm-hmm. and my great grandfather was in this small church in the country. And I remember going to visit that church. And it's the church where there's a graveyard outside and mm. families are buried there, right? Well, there's one church in that community, maybe two or three. And you basically just had to commit, this is where I'm going to live my life. Whether there's a good pastor or a bad pastor, you just stay there. This is it. You know, you, you buy a, a grave plot next door, right? Uh, we have this idea that I need more options to be content. That's kind of right. what's happened in our culture. Right. 
And the reason I'm dissatisfied is I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting what I need from the worship or the pastor or whatever we think it is. But I think you learn a deeper understanding about contentment when you commit to a community. When you say, I'm going to commit to these people, and I'm going to commit to learn how to love them, and they're going to commit to learn how to love me no matter how different we are. And frankly, every healthy every healthy relationships like that, like a marriage, what makes a marriage healthy? I'm committed to love my wife, whether I feel like it or not. She's committed to love me, and we grow as we walk through those conflicts. What's happening in the church is people are not maturing because the moment they reach the conflict when people are messy, they go somewhere else or they leave that institution versus believing that they're actually going to grow more human and more Christ-like in these difficult situations. And then we believe that's why I'm not growing, because I don't have the right music, or they have music, or there needs to be more discussion, or I need a different pastor, or whatever the issues are. We're believing that's a hindrance towards growth, when actually I believe we grow when we're committed to relationships. Right. And where do you, uh, I where, think that's what's happening. Exactly. And where do you, where do you think, what do you think the main reason is? Because as you and I both know, pastoring churches, we know that people might say, I don't like the sermon. I don't like the worship music. I don't like the coffee there. I don't like the lights, whatever it is. Where, where, why, why is it so, I guess, difficult for people to believe that the gospel is sufficient enough to, um, get them through a difficult conflict. Why is it? What, do you think it's a, a spiritual immaturity that people are demonstrating, or do you think our culture in general kind of uh, encourages people to just you know jump ship when when things are going bad? What, what do you think is the the cause of it that people do this? Well, it's I, I think you know a lot of people have opinions on that, but I think there's a lot of different factors. But I, I think. One of the assumptions that we have in the U.S. is that more options is better. You yeah. know, if I just had more options, uh, you know, it's kind of like if I lived longer, if I was healthier, if I had more options, it'd be better. But that actually doesn't seem to be the case. The longer we live, the more options we have, the more prosperity we have. Instead of becoming stronger, we become more dependent. Like we feel like we need more options. And and I think there's that, that mythology that uh, I'll just find contentment if I can find that special unique thing that that meets me so i think there is that aspect of just having a wrong understanding of of growth having a wrong understanding of even what the church is but i i think it just goes to this bigger issue of uh i believe ultimately it's a misunderstanding of what the church is right and when i heard for instance in the donald miller thing where he he said he said well the church i don't get anything out of the music right and I don't get anything out of the preaching, so I go somewhere, I get something out of it. And I thought, that's not why I go to church. Right. I, I, To be honest, like if I had my choice, I'd just go hang out with my wife and my kids and enjoy nature. You know, I love being with them more than anyone else. Right. Nothing personal, but – and even to you, you know, it's fun to talk with you. But I'd rather just spend time with my beautiful bride. <laughs> I'm but not going to take any offense is, to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And Likewise. The reality is that's not what the church is. That, right. That ultimately, uh, I'm, I'm not going to church to be fed anymore. I, I'm going to serve the body and to serve those who have needs. And one of the things I mentioned, you know, someone might be able to go find God in nature, but can the broken people find them? You exactly. Know, can somebody go? And I think that's what happens. I have to have a place where I'm available, and if someone's broken— and hurting, they can be welcomed 
and loved. And I and I I know from my nature, if we, if I live according to sensuality, the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians, which I love, Galatians five, is we don't live according to the law, right? The law's dead. Christ died to that law, you know, so we don't live based on legalism. But he says we also don't live according to the flesh. And when he's saying according to the flesh, he says sensuality. And Mm -hmm. sensuality is basically what I can taste and touch. It's the senses, you know, Mm -hmm. smell and taste and touch. I think in America, we've equated spiritual growth with sensuality, which means if I feel good. Now, I don't mind feeling good, but that's not how we're called to live. We're called to live according to, basically, he says, the whole law is expressed in this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Faith in Jesus expressed through love, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. When you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, you will be called into communities that are difficult. If Christ was called into communities that are difficult, Paul was. There's not one example in the Bible of people who were called away from difficult communities, and I think that's what we're confronting. People want their faith to be the sensuality of just feeling good and you know, creating my little safe world. But that's not where Christ calls us. And I think that's a form of legalism. It's right. just, the old legalism was you had to go to church to be holy. The new legalism is I kind of just do whatever I feel like. That's still a form of legalism that's not relational. Right. And the thing that um, a lot of times I say to uh, people that I work with is that you can leave your church. You can leave your community group. You can even leave your spouse. You can run from all those things. But the point is you can never run from yourself. Yeah. And that's where the, I believe that's where the first problem happens. Like what you see in the mirror every single morning, like you got to start there. And people who are um, like outside of the church, what I've tended to notice is that people criticize the church a lot and people who are not in the trenches with the people who are hurting and need healing and those are the people that i feel like have the loudest criticism and it almost seems like they love kind of beating leaders down with criticizing the people who are actually doing stuff what what do you what do you think of that well, one of the things I do, when someone gets hurt, I understand why they could react against the church. And we have many people who've been really hurt. So I want to acknowledge that there's been some horrible hurt stories. The problem is sometimes I think people believe that the people who stay in church haven't been hurt. Uh, the people I know, including myself, I've experienced great hurt by other Christians. I've experienced hurt by other leaders. I'm not in the churches because it's easy. And so I think that's the first one. But this is one of the things that I really think is a differentiation. I don't have any problem if someone doesn't want to come to our church. I don't have any problem if they don't think we have a good church in the city I'm in. But if you really believe that, if you really believe that the church is not offering what you think it's supposed to offer, you don't believe it's biblical, then it's your mandate to go out and start a church. Right. But what I found is people who spectate and criticize and stand on the sidelines – that's not the same as starting a new expression exactly. of information. I don't have a problem for the prophetic voice. If somebody wants to say, Doug, you do church wrong. I'm going to go out and try to do this. I'm going to say, go do it. The harvest is ripe. The workers are few. God bless you. What I found, though, is when you actually have to advance something and draw people together 
and do your own expression of the church, you begin to see why the church exists the way it exists. You begin to be less harsh in your criticisms because you're not as much of an expert once you do it. It's easy to be an expert on the outside. Of course. Once you do it, you realize it's a lot harder. Yeah, so I think... That's the encouragement I have. Exactly. That's awesome. I mean, that's something that I'd recommend for people who are criticizing the church. Just go and try to do something in the church for at least a year. Yeah. Just... Don't, you know, go lead a community group. I don't know, faithfully come to church every single Sunday and just be a greeter or, or an usher. I mean, something, but you're doing it consistently and just see. And I, and I think that oftentimes people think of the church like we have this, you know, submission is a swear word and uh, the whole authority issue. But talk a little bit about the fact that being part of a church and being and sitting under the teaching and preaching of a pastor is actually, it's a, it's a blessing. It's it's a great privilege. It's not a bad thing to be in submission to authority or or to leaders or pastors in the church. Well, I think one of the things is that um, if you look in the in the Book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on a on a body of believers, there is a natural submission. There's mm. one where like they sell their possessions and they throw them at the apostles' feet. The important thing, though, is everyone is in agreement that God is with us. The danger is when you try to turn submission into a law, like this is, you know, marriage is dangerous in a relationship. I'm the pastor, so you submit to me. Like people don't, I don't ever want anyone submitting to me because I'm the pastor. Right. I do want, if they sense the Holy Spirit in me, that what I'm saying and preaching is testified true by the scripture. And they also see it in the character of how I live, that there would be a mutual submission based on our roles. And so, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, there's people who work really hard in our church. They donate for the church. They tithe in the church. And one of the reasons they do that is so I can work a long time on my message and I can work hard on doing stuff that they are unable to do. And that's part of that mutual submission. They are taking money that they work for and they're entrusting it to the care of the church. I'm submitting to them by praying and seeking God's face and making sure what I bring serves God and also serves where they're at. Mutual submission rises up when we are spirit-led communities. Mm, amen. When we don't trust the Spirit of the Lord, I think that's where we become legalistic. And I actually, have, if you'll see this with some of the, the, the pastors, well, not the pastors, some of these uh, people who speak harshly against the church, many of them were raised up in very legalistic right. churches. And what they're really embracing is just a new form of legalism. And so the old rules, I had to go to church all the time. The new rules, I don't go at all. But see, that's not a relationship. And I think that's where we find growth is coming to a relationship with Jesus, yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, and then finding the joy of finding an expression of Christ that's bigger than myself. And also, you know, I, for me, the joy of loving, you know, loving someone I don't want to love and laying down my life for someone I don't want to do that. I mean, I, I think... That's where growth has occurred in my life, not just in me picking and choosing ahead of time where I think I'll grow. Exactly. And I think one of the kind of the ironies behind that is a lot of these people who kind of are maybe criticizing the church or have walked away from it or basically are not really encouraging people to get plugged back into it. When they're doing an event or a conference, guess what facility they're using? They're using like a church facility. So there's a pastor there who's, you know, laboring in the trenches with, with the people, with his sleeves rolled up week over week. And and it's like, 
why would you criticize that? Like, like, or like if you, if they're doing these speaking engagements or whatever, their, their honorarium is, is being paid for by a local church. Well, this is one I thought of this that, uh, and it's part of the modern publishing industry and it's part of, uh, social networking, the strengths of the internet where you can connect with people without really relationship. There's some strengths and weaknesses. Like you and I haven't met each other in person yet. You know, the internet's brought us together through Twitter and other things like that. But think of the new Testament, how it was written. The apostle Paul, for instance, the apostle Paul wrote letters to communities that he had relationships right. with. Uh, even like with, maybe we don't know quite know how much of a relationship he had with, with Romans, but he still knew people that the letter was going to. And so although he was giving general instructions, he was giving those instructions with deep relational accountability with those churches. What I'm seeing now is it's almost like it's ironic that some of the same people who are criticizing the church because they don't like the, they think the pastors are too power hungry and they don't like the hierarchical structure and they don't like, you know, they're bringing all these critiques to the church. But they themselves are acting very much like a hierarchical leader. Right. In isolation, they write their materials. They present it without relational accountability to those churches. And then the local pastors have to navigate the latest book and the latest conference and the latest teaching without being able to interact with these people who basically are existing in another level of media where you can't even get access to them unless they respond to your your tweet to them or something. Exactly. So I think that is a problem there that people are leading the church. Uh, it's just a different group. Instead of the local pastor leading, now it's um, it's the latest author or the latest conference. Circuit. Well, we'll talk about talk about that. I want to I want to kind of pick your brain and, and tell me what you think about this this concept of celebrity Christianity. Um, well, I, I want to be careful. Like in, in my heart, <laughs> one one I every I, my mom has said this. I don't. No one wants to be known by their faults. And right. I think most of the people out there are genuinely trying to do good work for the kingdom of God. I think what I'm looking at is just the basic problem with some of our structures. And I, I, I in jest, in one of my articles said, we almost have this new group of Protestant popes mm. who speak to the church. Now, even the pope has an accountability to uh, in the Catholic church, <laughs> right. at some level, the cardinals and the election and those sorts of things. But... I see it like we have these these celebrity cults. We have uh, whether they're the pastor of a of a mega church. I can I can use an example. I'm not saying they're bad people or anything, but uh, you know Rick Warren can speak to the church at large because he's got a very large expression. Or in the Northwest, we've got Mark Driscoll with Mars Hill Church, and so you have those pastors at, who are kind of have mega church expressions, and then they speak to the larger church. At least they have to do their stuff within the local church. You know, there's that accountability. And then you have uh, these bloggers and and, uh, speakers and authors who are doing conferences around the country who have a certain uh, celebrity name, you know, there's a certain attachment. And then they're doing leadership there. But again, the struggle I have is uh, if they're – if they're in partnership with the local church, I think that's great. Yes. But if they're just starting their new expression of church, which is basically just follow me in my writing and come to my conferences, then I'm a little concerned about that because I think ultimately if God's going to bring revival to the church, it's going to be let us be one 
not let us be these camps of right. those who are for the church and those who are outside the church. Right. And I think just like regarding the celebrity Christianity, I know a lot of Christians have criticized that and basically they're talking about, you know, rock star pastors and things like that. I just feel like the uh, social media has just magnified something that has already been in existence for a long time. Yeah. It's just, I mean, Pastors traveled to different churches and spoke at conferences before as well that we just didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Twitter. Like people weren't, you know, tweeting about them getting into an airplane or, or, or landing somewhere. Like no, nobody really, nobody really talked about that. I mean, we have to understand that the advent of social media and the internet in itself, like somewhere in the mid nineties, like 1996, that's a very short period of time in, in history that we're experiencing this. Well, and I and one of the things I've thought is, I tend to be this way that sometimes I'll look at what other pastors are doing and I kind of get a little frustrated. And I always feel like the Lord just says, "Doug, you you go do what you're supposed to do." Right. One of the things <laughs> I do with radio, and I know you're doing that in your expression of, uh, but I do think one of the things that happens is, especially in a culture where we feel like uh, maybe people can feel like Christianity is no longer a majority faith, whether that is or not, they can feel that way and they can feel like they're in isolation. And, you know, the majority of churches are small. They're like 95% of churches are 200 or less people. Right. But if you go to a church on Sunday and there's just like 90 of you or 60 of you, sometimes you can feel like, man, we're just nobody out here. We're barely making it. And so you can see the allure of attaching yourself to something large. Mm. I, I remember going to Promise Keepers uh, back when that was big. Right. You're in a in a giant stadium with fifty thousand men, and you're all men, 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 and you yep. just and you feel like you're part of something bigger, and you feel like your faith has more significance. And I think that's also what's happening with celebrity is people are trying to find meaning and purpose and validation for their faith. And so there's a certain comfort to be like, I'm in a room full of several thousand people, or I'm associated with a movement that has, you know, hundreds of thousands, whatever that movement is, versus I'm going to my local church and there's 70 of us and we're just kind of a ragtag group and not, not necessarily that wealthy or wise, but we're just loving the Lord. That's a very different expression of the church than the kind of celebrity. You know, I use it this way. I think we have like blockbuster churches and art house churches, like with movies. You know how you have blockbuster movies and art right. house movies? The blockbuster movies have big special effects. They've got big names. Uh, usually the plot is pretty simple. Usually the goal is to get as many people in the seats as possible. <laughs> right. And we like blockbusters, but there's limits. They're usually not that deep. The sequels often aren't as good. Uh, and then often, you know, big salaries, big budget, that kind of stuff. Then you get the art house film that's usually made more based on the, 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 you know, the goal of the director to share a certain message. And the strength of an art house film is it has a really strong message, but often it doesn't have a strong audience because it's very specifically focused to a need. Right. I think you see some of that in the church, and I, I think there's room for both, but I think it's dangerous if we prop one up as the example of the church. Right. So churches can can have, I think it, it's Rick Warren who says it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Yeah, yeah. And so, by the way, I mentioned him, like, I, I, Rick Warren's very approachable to pastors, and I think he wants people to do their own thing and, or, you know, to follow the Lord, and I've used his materials. And I, I just think there's a nature of we, we like to surround ourselves with celebrity, and it gives us a sense of comfort. But I don't think it's necessarily good when we begin to emulate 
those cultures as what our church expression needs to be. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think like it's great when people listen to podcasts that are Christian nature, when people uh, read blogs and they're on social media, but that should be a, a supplement to your weekly sitting under the teaching and preaching of a live physical pastor. Yeah. Well, I also struggle. I, I, one of my concerns with some of the larger churches, and I'm friends with a, a few pastors who would pastor, would be considered to be, you know, mega churches. And we've had some good discussions, but sometimes I've seen with some of the, the larger churches is they, they don't necessarily know how to work with a larger expression of Christ. And they kind of just see like, we know how to do our thing. And so they go into a community and do their thing. But sometimes I think whether it's intentional or not, they kind of step on the other things that are going on, mm. faithful pastors and ministers who have been doing a, a faithful work, but aren't the latest you know, show in town. And I think that's a concern. That so you're seeing... Gotcha. And do you think it's kind of like, for example, if you're in a small town or maybe even a larger town and you have a lot of mom and pop type stores and then you have a Walmart that opens up? Well, I think you could use that. Here's the thing, like if if the other churches in town are afraid when you come in town that growth is going to transfer, then I think you have a problem. And you can't just blame those local churches. You can't just say, well, you know, they're backwards thinking uh, I, I think here's the thing that people want more services, and I've seen this. Like I pastor a church that's that's not very big. I call it a normal sized church, just a, a 120 people, that kind of thing. And, okay. Uh, you know, normal. I, we don't even work really hard to try to build this great big thing. But <laughs> what I found is that larger churches offer more opportunities. They exactly. Just, and and many people have left our church to go to a larger expression. I've had people say. I remember when we first started our church, like, Pastor, we love you, but, you know, we need more ministry for our kids. And it's funny because I have four kids, and I want to tell them, oh, I'm glad you can escape. My kids have to go to hell. <laughs> kids just go to hell, but your kids can escape. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's what happens, and, and the, they are feeding – smaller churches do feed into these larger churches. They do. I've seen it. It's just It happens. And so then you get these smaller churches trying really hard to do all the stuff the larger church is doing, but they can't do it as well. They right. burn themselves out. And I just think it's it's really this perpetuating thing that we have to look at. So to me, I just decided large church is its own unique expression, and they're working under the Lord, but we're not going to use that as our model for ministry. Uh, it's as silly to me as use it as a model of ministry as if you've ever gone to the fair and there's that giant pumpkin, that huge pumpkin that wins the prize. The majority of pumpkins are just a certain size. They're right. not giant and huge. Right. I think the majority of churches are just a certain size. But we have an industry that is trying to get everyone to be the giant pumpkin. And that's not the rule. That's the exception to the rule. And I think that's the problem. We're putting this on pastors and on churches, an expectation that shouldn't be there when 95% of churches are 200 people. Or exactly. And I think part of the, we, you mentioned earlier, the publishing industry, I feel like a lot of uh, pastors who maybe have churches that are 10, 12,000 people or more mega churches, um, the reason that a major publisher will pick up 
them to completely pay for their book deal is because their book will sell because of their name. Whereas the content in the book might not necessarily be any better than what a pastor who's pastoring a church of 100 people, maybe their writing is almost identical in quality. Well, the reality is, and the publishers have to try to find a way to make money, so I get it, but they pick it up because they know first they can sell maybe 12,000 copies to the 12,000 people in the church, you know, so there's exactly there's that first run, and this is true in any front. Like, uh, I've been around pastors of uh, large churches who are excellent communicators and others who aren't, mm-hmm. and even there, people go, what do you mean? Well, you know. This is always a mystery to me because, you know, I'll listen to someone where he seems very simplistic, and I'm like, how can thousands of people listen to that? But, right. you know, that's what they want to do. And it's the same with writing. Uh, we have a tendency of celebrity that once someone is considered famous, then we, you know, we all follow them because that's the thing to do. But I, I, I know for me, it's even funny. Like, I'm certainly not a celebrity, but. Because I'm on the radio, I found people are far more willing to read the stuff I write. <laughs> and I write the same way I did than before radio. Right. But but when I have a church of 120, it's like, well, we're not going to listen to you. What do you know? Right. Like, well, he's a radio personality, so maybe he has something to say. Yep. And I've seen that, 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 that you know, basically giving me deferential treatment when I'm exactly the same right. person. Right. Have a different platform. No, that's awesome, and thank you for for what you do. And and basically, regarding we're talking about church and we're talking about leadership. In one of your recent articles that you wrote for Christianity Today, um, you talked about a concept that uh, blame for conflict can't always fall in the leadership. And and one thing that you mentioned was that uh, Jesus lived a perfect life, yet much of what he did and said was rejected by most of the people that he met. Um, just for a couple of moments, talk about that because I think a lot of pastors are really frustrated where they have people come to them and say, Hey, you didn't care for me enough. You didn't do this for me. Um, you missed me, uh, you know, in, in caring for me in a certain way. And a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors in the United States, I think are bivocational where they're working somewhere else 40 hours a week and they're trying to pastor a church because that's their passion. And people often kind of blame the pastor for not, you know, um, demonstrating excellent leadership. So talk talk yeah. a little bit about that. Well, by the way, when I talk with my pastor friends and they're going through a struggle, the first thing I say is, well, it's probably your fault. You did something wrong. And they'll, they'll laugh because they know <laughs> <laughs> that feeling because uh, the church is – there's a couple things that have happened. The rise of the church growth movement and the assessment movement, there were a lot of positive things about that. Uh, we need to assess our strengths and our weaknesses and, and why we're growing, why we're not growing. And But but I think one of the problems with assessment culture is so much of the literature, again, it becomes this self-hate literature. It's almost as if the majority of the church is doing it wrong, and if you just did it better, you would grow and you'd, you'd be what God wants you to be. And I find this with most of the pastors I meet are really hard on themselves. Most of them are kind of dissatisfied with where they're at. They think they should be bigger. They think they should be more effective. They, Whether it's growth, whether it's discipleship, they are every week trying to do a better job. And I think we buy into that belief that when something happens, like there's a rebellion in the church, a group of people are upset with you, people leave, we immediately go to that, well, what did I do wrong and what should I have done better? Now, obviously, there's things we do wrong. 
and there's things we should do better. But if you look at the Bible, and this is what I was trying to talk about in the Christianity Today mm-hmm. uh, article, is the Bible is full of examples of rebellion where the leaders are not blamed, the rebels are blamed. Mm. And, and you look at uh, Moses led a rebellious people, and God does not blame Moses for that. It's just the children of Israel are rebellious. Uh, Joshua read, leads rebellious people, or at least you know, in the beginning before he gets to cross over. There's a lot of rebellion, and, and he doesn't blame Joshua on that. You look at uh, Jesus. Jesus says, woe to you, Bethsaida. You know, there's cities he was in where he says, woe to you. Why didn't you repent, basically? And he compares them against other cities that did repent. And he doesn't say, if I'd only done a better job as Messiah, you would have not been right. so rebellious. Right. Uh, you see the Apostle Paul, in the end of his life, in the pastoral epistles, he makes a statement, and he says, basically, everyone has abandoned me. Yep. He was at a trial. Yep. Now, we would judge Paul as a failure. Like, if you're a good leader and you raise up disciples— you know, we'd say, what's wrong with your discipleship pathway? What's wrong with re- you should be releasing the next generation, you know? But each of those people, Paul doesn't blame himself. There's another one where Paul is leaving basically this church he's been ministering to, and he says, you know, when I leave, uh, people are going to rise up. Right. And they're going to harm the church. And he doesn't say, because I'm such a lousy leader, these people are going to rise up and harm That the you don't know how to defend yourself when I'm <laughs> right. gone. Right. No, he just says that's what's going to happen. Now, in our modern culture, we almost always blame the pastor. But you find whether it's, you know, Joshua, Moses, uh, almost every story in the Bible, you have these stories, whether it's Jesus or Paul, or there's times when you're doing the work of the ministry, and the fruit of doing the work of the ministry is rebellion. Mm. And I think we need to – here's a perfect example – uh, I think people should at least tithe. I understand that, you know, I'm not legalistic in tithing, but where Jesus, you know, gets after the Pharisees, he says, you know, you guys give a tenth of everything, but you neglect justice. And he says, you should do the former, but but also remember the latter. So he says, you know, at least you should give 10%, but the reality is give your life. Mm-hmm. Well, most people pastor churches where people are barely giving. The mm-hmm. statistics show that most people don't tithe. They might give 5%, 6% less. Who knows? Just give a, a couple bucks. So already we're leading churches with rebellion, mm. which is that people are rebellious, and we love them and we care for them. But if you're leading a church where people are not doing what God has called them to do, there's going to be problems. You're going to face budget crises. You're going to face constant struggles. Uh, but it's amazing how immediately a pastor will blame themselves for those things when at a very profound level, it's also a sign of a rebellious people. Now, does God love us all? As a pastor, I rebel too, so I'm not immune to this. Right. But I just think we've put so much of that weight. It's the one profession everybody can attack, and I've seen pastors attack themselves. And I just wanted to advocate for some of the men and women out there that uh, God sees the work of your labor, He rains his grace on the evil and the good. He sends some of his most choice messengers to speak to people who rebel against what you're called to speak. That is a part of ministry, rebellion. Sometimes it's the fruit of ministry. And I don't think there's room for that in some of our assessment when we're assessing the strengths and weaknesses of a church. We don't say one of the the fruit of a healthy church is rebellion. I, I haven't filled out a form yet that that said, well, how many people in your church are rebelling? Right. And then they said, that's a sign you're a healthy church. Of I haven't course. yet seen that, but that right. is a sign of the gospel. Is right. 
I think it was Ed Stetzer who said recently on Twitter that um, he says something to the long to the effect of if uh, 10% of people aren't agreeing with you, then you're doing okay. But if 70% aren't agreeing with you, then you should slow down. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, Ed Stetzer does a really good job of looking at statistics and looking at different ways to assess. And I think he has some good models of assessment. But I just don't think we every situation is different right eugene peterson has a great book i think it's just called the pastor but he basically was saying he saw in his lifetime the the role of pastor shift so much that the role is so much dependent upon the gifts of the pastor the calling of the pastor the congregation our community he's called to serve and the unique characteristics of the time we live in and all of those things can be different I mean, they just, they, and then there's the miraculous too. Like there's just signs of God's miraculous providence. And if you try to put that on someone, uh, I, I just think we have to be really careful. You can assess to me more what Paul assesses. Am I a loving pastor? Uh, you know, is the fruit of the spirit evident in what I'm doing? But as far as whether people receive or reject, I mean, even look at the apostle Paul, the Corinthian church cost him nothing but struggle. Right. Yeah, we got a holy scripture from it. So he was doing the ministry he was supposed to. Right. As he's dealing with a church in conflict. So I, I, that's why I wrote that. Is I just think, for me, sometimes I think, well, I'm a horrible pastor. You know, I can't do this. People aren't following or they're walking away. But I know the Bible has a lot of examples of Jesus spoke and people walked away sad. Wow. Part of it. That's that's so good. I think I think just that that piece that you just spoke to right now. I think it's going to be a really um, great encouragement to any uh, leaders or pastors or people just working in any type of capacity in the Christian church to kind of realize that you know, continue your calling, just press into Christ, uh, be authentic about your sin, repent if you need to, apologize if you need to, but don't quit just because you experienced a conflict. Well, can I push this even farther? Like, I really Please do. Called, I feel called to encourage pastors. And I, um, I, I restarted a church of 12 people. And so I, I'm kind of a church planner. Uh-huh. And I've worked with church planners. And I don't, I, I don't know if I'll ever plan another church, but I try to encourage other pastors who are doing this. And, and I, in our denomination, we had this assessment process where we would assess whether you're a good church planter or not. Mm-hmm. And my heart was this. I would say to people at the end of our interview, I'd say, I don't know if you're going to grow a church or not. I don't know if you're going to do this for two years or 30 years, but I do know you will grow in the character of Christ if you do what God has called you to do. And I think one of the dangers is we are judging success in a wrong way. Mm. To me, the issue is I need to be faithful to what God has called me to do. Now, do I want to do it the rest of my life? You bet. But I don't know whether people are going to accept or reject, even with Paul, you know, whether they're going to beat him up and stone him and drag him outside the city or if they were going to welcome him as a god. You know, right. you don't know right. what someone's going to do. But what happens with some of these young pastors is they have this idea that I have to prove the worth of what I'm doing by some sort of outcome. We're mm. going to be a church of 300 or we're going to plant other churches. And they have all these expectations to prove their worth. We do not prove our worth. Our worth was proved at the cross of Christ. Mm. All we get to do is be obedient. We minister out of the favor of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe when you believe that what I do today has value, and yes, I'm, I'm going for dreams and visions and big plans, and, but even if those things don't happen, what I'm doing right now 
has value, obedience, faithfulness. I think if we talked about ministry that way, far more pastors would go into the ministry and far more would stay in the harvest field longer. We put these expectations on people that they can't live up to. They get disgruntled. They get discouraged. They get depressed. And what was meant to encourage them actually becomes a weight against them, you know, an accusation against them that if you were a good pastor, you'd have more people, more leaders, more church plants. And instead, we need someone to come alongside and say, hey, well done. You're doing something no one else wanted to do, right. which is to go into the harvest field and try to be the expression of the body of Christ. Wow. That was, that was, that was so good for the soul. Thank you for that. Good stuff. Well, I'm well, enjoying this. This is fun. You know, with my talk show, I got to ask people questions. So, uh, <laughs> wow, no, exactly. Well, Doug, thank you so much. Um, I mean, this was just pure gold. Um, everything you said, I think it's going to be just a very huge blessing for every single person that um, is going to be listening. Um, we really appreciate your ministry. And I want to just um, kind of finish off our interview with a few um, light, lightning round questions. Okay. Okay. So they're going to know. We'll see. I don't. So these are quick. Yeah. They're going to be quick questions. They're going to be fun. We're not going to talk about Protestant popes. Okay. (laughs) You're not going to ask me about my pneumatology or soteriological implications. That might be, that might be in the the next, uh, in the next fuel for life episode that we're going to do later on. I would love to have you back as a guest. I don't have to get out my seminary decoder ring, do I? No, that's you don't have to. You're, okay. you, right. you you said your worth has been proven on the cross, so that's and that's <laughs> all we need. Okay. All right, so all right, I'm so ready. I can deal with lightning. Okay, first. perfect. So lightning round questions, just to kind of we've been kind of going heavy a little bit. Um, I I know you're going to have one of one of these because you're coming from Seattle. What is your favorite coffee concoction? Well, I am one of the most boring people. Every day, I order a venti drip bulb. Drip coffee, no lattes, no anything. Wow. And I do that as the way to justify my addiction. I'm not addicted. <laughs> I just choose to have coffee every day. But then I judge everyone else at Starbucks because they're all getting those fancy drinks. And I'm like, I'm not like you. I'm here every day and I only get Starbucks. But I'm having, you know, a man's coffee. So and don't you feel better about yourself when you judge people? Oh, yeah, because then I'm not like them. Like they got those fancy drinks. I'm just doing a venti drip. I'm clearly, you know, so yeah, that's no, that's no, probably my favorite. Thing. No milk, no, no creamer. Well, okay, I do a splash of cream and four Splendo. The, oh, so you get a little bit complicated, diet, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, at least in Starbucks, I know that if you just get a drip coffee, you 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 can get out of there much faster because they don't have to make it; they just pour it and All you're right. done. Yeah, you know, another cool thing about Starbucks is if you ever want to do something fun walk into a Starbucks and say, I have an emergency. Is there a pastor in the house? And five guys will stand up. <laughs> and then one of them won't. There'll be like a sixth pastor who's just working on a sermon and doesn't want to be bothered. Uh, but just so you know, if you ever need a pastor, just run into a Starbucks. That's the Christian bar. That's where <laughs> oh, gosh. And, and that the one pastor doesn't want to be bothered by people's problems, right? That's just awesome. Yeah. Well, pastors do this. They go to Starbucks at different distances from their local church, depending upon what work they want to get done. <laughs> oh if they want to hang out with people, it's the Starbucks right next door. But they go over a couple cities if they actually want to work on the service. Yeah, and you'll know the pastor because they have the two thousand dollar MacBook laptop. <laughs> That's right. It's our it's our missionary garb. Hey, you know what I have to say? I mean, if we're part of the royal priesthood, we need to have the tools that resemble that. Well, you know, to be honest with that, if there's any writers or bloggers or posters uh, who are listening. 
You know, I remember when we first started as a church, I was really hesitant to spend money on myself, like for a good computer. And I remember just waiting and even to ask the church to maybe help. And and finally I did. And I was just, after the fact, I thought, why didn't I do that sooner? It is not selfish to invest in tools that help you get your voice out. Exactly. I've noticed that pastors sometimes don't invest in that because they think it's selfish. But if you're going to write something or create something, then invest in those tools. Amen. So yes, that's how I justify my Mac. Amen. And, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm on equal ground with you. You don't have to even convince me of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ne- next question. Um, in an ideal world, in an ideal world, what would you do all the time if you could? Probably nothing. No, I'm a <laughs> man. I don't know. I'm like this. I always want to do something else when I can't do it. Like wow. when I'm when I'm busy doing a show, I think, man, if I just had time to write, I would write. But then when I get time to write, I don't write. So mm. I don't know if you give an answer. I would like to spend some time writing a book, to be there honest. Like if I had a because doing a daily show and pastoring, and I just every day I'm talking. Uh, I'd like to do that, uh, you know, and, and also just, I love travel. So if I could travel with my family. Nice. So what, that's awesome. And so what, what would you do? What do you do when not working or doing ministry or doing the radio show to relax and recharge? Like what, what do you do to kind of <laughs> just chill out? Oh, I aimlessly watch TV. I think, which I probably shouldn't, but I need to shut my brain down. I'm the kind of guy I just can't relax. So in the Seattle area, I love wa- watching the Mariners, which is just so boring, but it can just <laughs> slow me down. Like it's just on in the background. There we uh, go. I, that's basically what I'll do. I'll DVR some shows and, and watch them. So yeah. l- last question I want to ask you, and uh, maybe you've you've thought about this, maybe not, but I, I, I'd like to ask my guests this question. What is one goal or dream that you would love to accomplish in 2014, this year? This year? Wow, that's tough. Because I have all kinds of dreams for the future. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I'll put this in because I, I feel like most of my goals are, are not within my reach. Like somebody else has to open the door. Right. I want to have a national radio show. Uh, I, I just would like to. I'd like to be able to have that national uh, platform. Right. Just Become a like celebrity. A, yeah. Well, to me, it's like to facilitate a better dialogue because I'm just sure. this guy with a church of 120 people. And so there's no excuses. It's not like a mega church. It's not... And I want to just have conversations. You know, I'd like to do that. But the reality is, frankly, I'd like this year, if one goal I'd like to achieve is to be a little gentler with my wife. I've thought about lately, I've been preaching on this, where, you know, sometimes when I'll just, like, I'll snap right away, like, just kind of the rude response, I'll apologize. But it bothers me that right away I just kind of snap at her. And and I know we have a good marriage, but part of me is like, Doug, when are you going to grow in that Mm -hmm. area? You know, and so... If I could be where I, I don't have to apologize immediately, if I could go without the apology because I don't mess up. There we go. That would be a good goal. Well, maybe maybe if you accomplish that goal, God will hook you up with a national show. <laughs> is that how it works? <laughs> you know what I found is what I think I need is not always good for me. Yeah. So I'm just going to try to trust him because the things I thought I wanted in life, I'm really glad they haven't happened. 
but that's just kind of how I am. I'm On, honestly, guy. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't get a national show. I mean, you're 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 great in everything that you do, and I'm gonna be just really happy that I got to interview you when you when you didn't have ten thousand requests in your email oh, in your so email nice. box. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but but as I've found is there's people working in all aspects of the harvest field and. I don't quite know the logic of it all, but this is the cool part of what I get to do is I get to meet people like you. And I want you to know that I very much appreciate what you're doing. And I, I genuinely, my heart is that anyone I meet, that they could feel released, that God is speaking to them and feel released to be even more excited about what God's called them to do. And that's my goal, that I'd be an advocate for what Christ is doing in someone's life. So the work you're doing as a pastor and, and this expression, I just say that's tremendously good and I'm going to be a supporter of whatever you do because to me people who are creating and taking risk and taking faith steps they need to be encouraged and celebrated in our culture amen amen well Doug thank you we appreciate you God bless you your family your ministry and um, uh, we look forward to speaking again soon and thank you so much for coming on to the Fuel for Life podcast well this was awesome because on my radio show we have like a half an hour commercial so getting to talk this long in a row was awesome Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Doug. All right. Bless you. That was me on the Fuel for Life podcast hosted by Bogdan Kipko in March of 2014. Hey, one of the things that came out of that discussion is I wrote a book a few years later called The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. I'd love it if you'd pick that up. You can get that at my website, fairlyspiritual.org, or at amazon.com. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. This theme music is done by my brother, Dan Birsch. Feel free to pick it up at iTunes. All right, I will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. But you've spoken by